Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We've got another great show for you today. I'm here with J.J. Cooper to review the 2021 season and, of course, preview the 2021 postseason. J.J., before we dive into everything that happened this year, and there was a lot that happened that really was mind-boggling in so many ways, I feel like we need to take a step back and just appreciate the simple fact that we had a 162-game season this year. I know it's something we all took for granted. 2020, obviously, that did not happen. And just the fact that we had a full season again this year, it was just awesome in so many ways. I remember specifically on July 23rd of this year thinking, man, this was opening day a year ago. And just think about everything that had already happened in Major League Baseball from opening day through July 23rd. Shohei Otani, everything he did, plus the All-Star game to that point. Just having 162 games this year, it just felt right. And it was so, so, so nice to have and something, again, that I don't think any of us take for granted anymore after what happened in 2020. I just want to make one note since you're a young and, you know, as an old guy, I will note that I, I don't take it for granted, partly also because 1981, 1994, and 1995. So there's been three times in my lifetime where I've had a season that did not get to the 162. But no, it is great that we got there. It's great that this is what we talk about with Major League Baseball. Like when you say what separates baseball from other sports, if you want to throw the Premier League and everything in soccer at me and say that the regular season really matters there, it does. I, it actually matters all. They don't, they don't do anything else. But when it comes to the U.S. major sports, baseball is still the sport where the regular season counts the most. And part of why you do 162 is we saw this last year versus this year. Last year really did feel like it's great that we got something in, but 60 games was really, we're just kind of getting started. And we didn't get a chance to really filter out what was a great hot streak or cold streak versus that something that lasts. That's not a case this year. If Shoei Otani had had the season he had this year last year, what would everyone would be saying is, oh, that's nice. That was really cool but you really probably wouldn't be able to carry that out over a full 162-game season, which he did. And what it means is, is it means more because he did so. It means more because he can say, no, 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 it wasn't fluky. It wasn't playing 40% of a season. I did it. I showed I could do it over the course of an entire season. Yay that we got to do this. And now, hey, the other part of it is, is buckle up because we're jumping into the, the most fun month of the year, though, baseball-wise. I mean, this is, I love every month of it, but this month gets really insane. 
Oh yeah, October I think is the best month to be a sports fan period because you have Major League Baseball postseason, both college football and the NFL are really kicking into gear here. You really start to get into the meat of conference playing college football. NFL, we're through the first few weeks now. Teams are starting to show, okay, who's good, who's not. Hockey and basketball are on the horizon. This is the best month to be a sports fan, and I, for one, am absolutely stoked for it. Again, because a lot of things last year, it wasn't really the same. So, again, not taking it for granted. JJ, as we look back on the 2021 Major League season, what is the number one thing that jumped out to you the most that you will take away the most from this season? I'm going to leave you one. I'm going to leave you one for you because I think that we, I mean, we've already mentioned a little bit, but I'll leave that and just say, to me, one of the things that really does stand out, if I just look over the course of, of this year, I kind of feel like that we got yet another step in Juan Soto's amazing career. And, and I say that because Juan Soto had an OBP last year, we talk about the shortened season, that defies common explanation. It was 495, I believe, or right around there. And that was 490, which was insane, which was crazy, but it was 60 games. This year he went out, okay, it wasn't 490, 465, I think you have the stats up. So 465. Not just walked more than he struck out, walked at a rate uh, we can't call it Bonzian, but other than Bonzian, we can call it that fits with the, ba- the best seasons as far as getting on base. Getting on base is the most important thing you can do as a player because you're not making outs. And Juan Soto does that as well as anyone that we've seen. You know, we saw Joey Votto early in his career. Juan Soto is a better version of that. The other things that just amaze me is, is when we remember that this was Juan Soto's age 22 season, and when you look at how far along he already is in what will likely be a Hall of Fame career, that okay, this may not surprise others, but I was looking at how great Byron Buxton's season was this year. Shortened, but great short season. And then it struck me that Juan Soto has more hits than Byron Buxton, which doesn't seem possible because Byron Buxton arrived you know, years before Juan Soto. But Juan Soto is close to 100 home runs already. It, it is, it's remarkable what he's done. And because the Nationals were pretty terrible, it's easy to kind of overlook. Again, I know that people have noticed, but, but that's one of the things that I have taken away from this year. But that tees you up because I'll, I'll leave you the one, which let's just be clear. I, I, again, I agree with what you're going to say here too is even more impressive. Shohei Otani, being out here on the West Coast and pretty close to Anaheim, seeing it up close especially, it defies explanation. Shohei Otani completely obliterated what we thought the limits were in Major League Baseball, what a human being could legitimately accomplish at the highest level of baseball in the world. Let's just recap this. 46 home runs, third in the Major Leagues. 965 OPS, fifth in the majors. And oh, by the way, 26 stolen bases was eighth in the majors. So he's third and fifth in homers and OPS. He's one of only two players to go 40 homers, 25 steals this year. The other was Fernando Tatis Jr. Even if he's just a hitter, he is a top five hitter in Major League Baseball. 
as a DH, by the way, just what he does with the bat, what he does on the bases, top five position player in Major League Baseball, even if he doesn't play the field at all. Now let's add in what he did on the mound. A 3.18 ERA, struck out nearly 11 per nine. His opponent's batting average was 207. His Ks per nine and opponent's batting average would have been top 10 in the majors if he had enough innings to qualify. This was a top five position player. And again, the innings were a little lower than his contemporaries through 130 and a third innings this year. But in those 130 and a third innings, he was a top 10-ish pitcher in Major League Baseball. We have never seen this before. Babe Ruth didn't come close to this. Babe Ruth's best season as a two-way player, he hit 29 home runs. Shohei Otani obliterated what Babe Ruth did in his best two-way season. We have never seen anything like this. When I say we, everyone alive today, and honestly, our parents' generation and our grandparents' generation, this was an unbelievable season that was truly unprecedented. That word gets thrown around a lot. This is one of those times it is 100% accurate. No one, I forget, alive, no one who has ever watched Major League Baseball has seen a season like this. This has never happened. And I think it's important that we all appreciate that because it was so impressive to watch. And now the question becomes, can he do it again? We're going to find out. But I think at this point, doubting Shohei Otani is generally the wrong way to go. I know I was very skeptical as the person who, for us at BA, did the deep dives on Shohei Otani when he was in Japan, talked to everyone about what is possible. Even those who were the most optimistic on him in the entire world, I think back to Dennis Safarte, former big league reliever who went over to Japan, became a star, and faced Otani a lot over the years. He said it himself that Shohei Otani could be a Cy Young Award winner as a pitcher, and he thought he could go 40-40 as a position player, but he was going to have to pick one. And that was the general consensus. He's probably going to have to pick one. To do both to the level he did at the same time, Again, I just hope no one takes this for granted. This was one of the most remarkable seasons in Major League Baseball history. And you can argue, I think, it was the most remarkable simply because of how unique it was. There have been other players who've had better offensive seasons. There have been other players who've had better pitching seasons. But to do what he did to the level he did at both, unbelievable, truly unbelievable in so many ways. Oh, it, it is Utterly remarkable. You, you, you mentioned it. It's, it's funny. You made me think of my friend Ray Nemec, who was one of the uh, original founders of Sabre. And Ray's passed away since then. And, but Ray was up there. Ray was not a young guy when I was talking to Ray. And Ray, who, who talked about going to Philadelphia A's games in the 30s. You know, that's kind of like Ray is a generation, really two generations beyond us. And he was really too young to see Babe Ruth play at the, for the majority of the prime of Babe Ruth. So you have to go a generation before that to get to a generation where two-way players were more common. You kind of have to go back to the origin of baseball, which at the time, nothing seemed all that amazing because I, I think back to when I was a little kid, and I didn't, I wasn't a giant NBA fan, but it's like, it always makes me think that, like we think of baseball and the expanse of baseball that we have, which goes back really to the 1800s, even if you could kind of put a marker in 1947 and say, okay, that's modern baseball from then on. But 
basketball, like I was watching basketball, you know, in the late seventies, early eighties and basketball at that point was like what baseball was in the 1920s. I mean, this was that professional basketball was that new. Well, you have to go back to when baseball was that new to have it. This, this would not have seemed remarkable at the time because no one knew what remarkable was yet because the sport was so new to have this happen where we have 120 years of since the world series began almost to say this doesn't happen uh, again it's it is it's i would put it as one of the great feats athletic feats of the 21st century already like there are other ones you can put out there but when you say uh, if someone uh, the, the football version of this if you did other sports the football version would be hey this guy's come out and he's Champ Bailey played wide receiver and cornerback in college at Georgia. I covered him there. But if he had come out and been a, you know, Deion Sanders did it a little bit in the NFL. But this would be someone coming out and saying, like, I'm going to be the top running back and the top linebacker in the NFL in some year. And we everyone say, no, you can't do it. That's what Joey Otani just did in baseball this year. And again, tip of the cap, sir. So, I mean, JJ, you have been around at BA for nearly 20 years now, and you've heard about so many guys coming through that, oh, he was a two-way star in college or two-way guy, you know, at some point in his career. And even some of these guys do it a little bit in the minors. And it's, it's just too hard. I mean, how many guys have you seen that have this pedigree just completely flop? Oh, I mean, okay. I mean, again, when you say flop, but even let's just say players who they try to do one or the other and they try the other, but okay, we have Micah Owings, we have Brooks Kieschnick, we have Brendan McKay now. We have, you know, these were all really, really good two-way players in college. And normally what, again, I, 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 what I'll be fascinated now, this is an amazing feat. Now the question becomes, what does it change for baseball? Does it now open the door for someone else to try it down the road? Because the reality of it is, is Shohei Otani has shown that it is possible, but also at the same time, just knowing how development is in the, you know, the, the concerns, I think it's, it was still going to be easier going forward for someone else to do this in Japan than it will be to do this in the States. Now, Mason Wynn pitched an inning and played shortstop this year. There are other players who've got, but no one, in the U.S. this year was really doing it at the level that you would need to do to really develop at both like Shohei Otani did. And part why was Shohei Otani able to do that? Because he was so good that it was an inducement for him to, to, to go sign and play with the team he played with. It is an interesting discussion. Does the infrastructure exist in the minor leagues to develop a player like this domestically? And it was something a lot of guys talked about the All-Star game, and they said, in their experience, the answer is no. It would take a lot for a team to devote the time and resources and energy to do this. And for 99.99999% of the players, it ends up not being worth it. Again, we've seen guys try, you know, Casey Kelly comes to mind as a guy who they played with it a little bit, and ultimately he had to pick one. It's funny you mentioned Micah Owings. I was in college at Arizona State in 2007 when Micah Owings came up and, you know, had a decent season as a starter, you know, went eight and eight, four, three ERA, did some good things. And then at the dish hit 
333 with you know, seven doubles, four homers. It's like, wow, this guy's amazing. Shohei Otani just completely obliterated what Micah Owings accomplished, which, again, at the time was pretty remarkable. Just go back, you know, Tanner Dodson, again, I can keep thinking of guys who've, who've kind of tried to do this, and I keep coming up with more. But the one that I, I, we haven't mentioned probably worthwhile mentioning is Jake Cronenworth. Jake Cronenworth, I watched show solid reliever stuff in AAA in the year that he was kind of having his breakout year at the plate. But again, Jake Cronenworth, the Padres needed pitching this year, and they never, they never turned and said, you know what? Hey, they Jake, did once. I was, I was there the 12th inning against right. the Dodgers, and they ran out of arms, and I watched him strike out Mookie Betts. So there we go. But uh, yeah, no, exactly. But, yeah, but they did not use him out, you know, working out the pen. Why? Because it's so hard to do. Yeah. No, it's truly remarkable, and that is the story of the 2021 season. JJ, what was the biggest surprise to you during this season, aside from Shohei Otani doing what he did, because again, it was both the thing that jumped out the most and was in a lot of ways the biggest surprise because no one thought this was possible. But what surprised you the most about what happened in the 2021 Major League season? Every year I try to think of it like, okay, what have I learned this year? What does baseball show me this year that I thought I knew or I didn't know or I'm realizing I didn't know? And the thing this year I came with is, is you – you always, and maybe it's in the overreaction sometimes, but you say, okay, what did teams show us this year? And what I came away with is saying, I, what strikes me is, is how many of the stars of the game are sitting on the sideline right now? Not all of them, but as we talk about the Blue Jays, I don't think any team had more young breakout, you know, had more breakout stars this year than the Blue Jays because Robbie Ray had easily the best year of his career, and you had Vladimir Guerrero Jr., and you had Marcus Semyon. You had Bo Bichette. You had a, guys having great years. The Padres had a great, what looked like a great offseason, where they went out and acquired a pitching staff. And to add to a team that looked like it had depth in stars. And then when I look at the end of the year and we say, okay, so who's got the best record in the NL? It's an NL West team and it's not the Dodgers or Padres. Wait, what? And then you say, okay, who's got the best record in the AL and it's the Rays. And you say, well, what, what are the, the things that you notice about them? And one of the things that stands out the most to me about those two teams is they don't have as many stars as some other teams. But the depth and the depth of the lineup where it kind of it felt like with both of those teams, you very rarely were going to have a guy step to the plate who wasn't out, who wasn't an average or better offensive player. Maybe he wasn't one of the best 10 offensive players in the league, but there was very few players you say, compare, contrast that with the Phillies who had stars. Bryce Harper had an MVP caliber season, but one out of every three innings in pretty much it felt like every game all year, the Phillies were going to send a group to the, to step up to the plate who you say, Oh, you really, this inning, we can cruise through it. If you look at, again, a lot of these teams that failed to live up to expectations, I would say what you found is I, I if I was going into the season and you said, what is the one player who would be most difficult for the Rays to handle losing. Tyler Glasnow would easily be that guy. 
you would say they don't have this a real rounded starting pitching staff. They have this one potential front of the rotation starter. If Glasnow goes down, that would really hurt them. And it had why? I, it's amazing if you scan B ref and you look at how many pitchers the Rays have pitched this year. Who again, ERA plus is not a perfect stat by any measure of the, but as a shorthand, look at how many guys have an ERA plus of a hundred or better. And you look at the Rays, and I think the number right now is something like 23, 25. I'll look it up while you're talking. And I'll follow up with this. But you shouldn't be able to throw that many guys who are league average or better. And that's what the Rays did. You shouldn't be able to do it. That's what the Giants did. And so if I'm looking at what's going to be the trend that comes out of this year, one thing I think is going to come out of it is, is that this, this, this realization or this goal going forward for teams to say, we can't be a team that has some stars, but has some clear zeros in our lineup as well. That's the thing that I took away from. What about you, Kyle? Yeah, well, I want to piggyback off that. I think that's always been true. Stars and scrubs doesn't work. The Angels have been trying that formula for a decade and it hasn't worked. And it's, it's something that I think has always been true. You need to have more than five starting pitchers. You need to have more than just your main group of five guys in the bullpen. And if you give away outs, you're not going to win many games. That's true offensively or defensively. If you're giving away three outs every time through the lineup, you're not going to win many games. But I do think things kind of went to an extreme this year, you're right, where we saw how deep the depth went. It wasn't just about having... 10 or 11 good pitchers to work from. I mean, you mentioned the Rays having 20 plus. The Giants went crazy deep with the amount of arms they pulled up. Yeah, there's no question. And I do think some of that is coming off a 60-game season, a lot more injuries, a lot more fatigue. The teams that had guys that could kind of spell some of the stars, if you will, definitely came out ahead. It'll be interesting to see how teams react. But I've always said you're only as good as your weakest link. And we saw the teams that had the strongest, quote-unquote, weakest link tended to be the better teams. Uh, but I do want to piggyback here off this discussion into the Giants, who are the biggest surprise of the season for me. So coming into the year, this was not a team that was going to be terrible. You looked at this offense. They had some veteran starters. Third place, I, I thought they'd probably be in the 86 win range. You know, 86 and 76, be respectable, be competitive, but certainly not have the horses to compete with the Dodgers and the Padres. And for them to be standing here at the end of the season with the best record in baseball, absolutely to me, is the biggest surprise of the 2021 season. And something that really is, is a remarkable accomplishment everyone in the organization should be proud of. I do think that when people talk about the Giants, they kind of mischaracterize this team a little bit. And what I mean by that is there are star players here. So I want to take a step back. The fact that the Giants have a good offense should not be surprising to anyone. If you go back and look at last year, and I know it was a shortened season, 60 games, but they were top 10 in both scoring and OPS last year while playing with the regional schedules. Most of their games in San Francisco, LA, San Diego, Oakland, Seattle, Anaheim, these are all really, really pitcher-friendly parks. And the Giants had one of the best offenses in baseball playing most of their games in parks that skewed very pitcher-friendly. So now you get Buster Posey coming back. You look at this group, Buster Posey, Brandon Belt, Brandon Crawford. These guys have been cornerstones of championship teams, of multiple championship teams. These are stars. Evan Longoria in his prime was absolutely a star and still has some ability in there. Mikey Stremski has been a breakout star of recent years. 
So there were stars on this team offensively. So I think the fact that they had a good offense should not surprise anyone. It was just about, could these guys stay healthy? And for the most part, they did. Longoria missed some time. Belt is now hurt, which is a big blow. But for the most part, uh, this group of over 30 players who, again, have really, really, really good track records of being really good players in Major League Baseball, they performed. I'm not surprised this is a team that was one of the better offensive teams in baseball. Now, did I expect them to lead the National League in home runs and be second in scoring? Certainly not. But the fact that they're top five, top 10 shouldn't surprise anyone. To me, the biggest surprise of this Giants team is that they finished second in the majors in ERA. You looked at this pitching staff and you saw a lot of guys who had some very, very scary injury histories, no real ace, and a lot of unproven guys in the bullpen. My thought was that once you got into the middle of the season, as these pitchers got hurt, they would fall back. And the thing is, a lot of these guys did get hurt. Johnny Cueto went on the injured list four separate times this year. Alex Wood went on the IL twice. Logan Webb missed a month with a shoulder strain. They had a lot of starters they were counting on, missed some time. Aaron Sanchez went on the IL and was ultimately let go. And they didn't fall back. That, to me, was the biggest surprise of this Giants team, that the pitching staff stepped up and that they had the pitching depth that I don't think anyone really saw, myself included. But you looked at the Giants, and you mentioned this with the Rays. One of their biggest strengths was when they had guys coming out of the bullpen, there was no weak link in the bullpen. They were going to have someone out there every inning giving them competitive innings. You mentioned the Phillies. They very clearly did not have that. So I think the fact that the Giants are where they are, and specifically their pitching staff performing as well as they did, that to me is the biggest surprise of the 2021 season by far. The thing I'll say is, is when you say that they have stars, like, I was still am more surprised by what this Giants offense did maybe than you are. And, and I say that partly because, like, yes, Evan Longoria was a star. Evan Longoria is not at the star point of his career, though. And he had a year this year that is somewhat star-like. The f- funny thing is, is Mike Estremski is probably one of the few guys who you could say was a little disappointing for them this year. Had a pretty disappointing season. Brandon Crawford having this season surprises me. Darren Ruff, hey, I was there for the Darren Ruff experience when he went crazy in Reading all those years ago. But, man, that was an incredible month in Reading. But Darren Ruff being this in the majors, that surprised me. And I could kind of, again, Buster Posey being this great, absolutely great to see it. It probably, it very well may be the difference between Buster Posey, great player, and Buster Posey, Hall of Fame player. Because let's, by the way, let's just say, if the Giants win it this year, if you're a catcher, pretty good resume to have. Like, huh, okay, wait a second. While I scratch my chin, wait, all these rings keep getting in the way when I do this. Because Buster Posey would be, from that standpoint, one of the winningest catchers, the non-Yogi Berra division, basically. And so that would, again, he's a, yes, absolutely a star. But to get the years that they have from all the guys they have, and again, I would also say what we talked about with the Rays, what they've done a very good job of, I think, with their staff, pitching, and their lineup is putting guys in positions to succeed. And I think depth also helps you do that because it's not something where they're just rolling out nine guys and say, these are our nine guys. 
They're saying these are the guys who could succeed today. And by the way, whether we, if we win 10 to two today, you may see a whole different lineup tomorrow because we're going to put the guys tomorrow in the situation to succeed tomorrow. Absolutely. And again, I do think the unheralded heroes of the season are the Giants training staff, you know, keeping Posey healthy for the most part, keeping Brandon Crawford healthy for the most part. Again, Longoria missed some time, but he's back. A Brandon Belt missed some time. He's on the aisle again. That's a big blow. But this is a lineup that is heavily over 30. The Giants had the oldest position player group in the major leagues on average, and they're one of the best offenses in baseball. And a big part of that is these guys who have been stars at their peak, and you know that ability is in there, were able to stay healthy and at their top level of performance. And I do think the training staff deserves a lot of credit for that. JJ, overall thoughts on this 2021 season? I do feel like we have to mention what a great finish as well. And that's something where I wrote about this a lot last year, that if Major League Baseball expanded to 14 playoff teams, if they expanded 16 playoff teams, it would just mean a lot of teams who really weren't worthy would be getting into the postseason. I feel like with the way this year finished, the excitement of that final day, particularly in regards to the AL wildcard, was just another data point in favor of leave the postseason as it is because this is the excitement. I thought the way everything went down with the Yankees winning in walk-off fashion, the Red Sox coming back from 5-1 down, Rafi Devers with a huge home run, the Blue Jays winning and ultimately coming up just short, but they finished great. The Mariners, you know, hanging around to the end. It was hugely exciting. And I do think a really kind of perfect capper on what was an incredibly exciting Major League Baseball season. We didn't even really talk about Vlad Guerrero Jr. chasing a triple crown. I mean, so many great things happened. I think the combination of, yes, first season back after a 60-game season, we were going to be happy and thrilled no matter what. But I think specifically the 2021 season was just exciting on so many levels. And this is up there as one of the more exciting seasons in my lifetime. And I think it's something that we should all appreciate and, and I know is a great way to kind of lead into the postseason, especially the way everything ended. No, it was. It's a great season, and now we we get the, the little uh, the, the little cherry on the Sunday. Now, absolutely, we're going to jump into that here. Uh, first, we're going to take a quick break, and we're back. All right, JJ. Now the fun stuff. The 2021 postseason is upon us. We start with the Yankees and Red Sox, the AL Wild Card game on Tuesday, followed by the Dodgers Cardinals Wild Card game on Wednesday, and then the division series starts on Thursday. Before we dive into kind of analyzing all the teams, our picks, one of the things that stands out to me, and I'll put this question to you, is there a clear-cut favorite to win the World Series as you look at the postseason bracket as it currently stands? I mean, clear-cut, probably not. And I, and I say that partly because the team that would be probably the favorite would be the Dodgers, I still think. But they have a problem, which is, one game winner takes all complicates factors significantly. I would not feel comfortable saying that their favorite is a team that if they just have one bad day, isn't even going to really be part of this. I think you could say the Rays in the AL, they are the defending AL champs. They did have the best record in the American league. They do have depth, but I don't feel like that their heads and shoulders. I think that the White Sox are a team who's kind of really well-crafted for the postseason now. I think that they've gotten guys healthy. They've developed depth because they had to have guys step in and play when a lot of these guys who are playing now were hurt. I think their bullpen sets up really well. So 
what about you? To me, I don't have a team that I'm like, oh, I feel pretty confident that Team X will make it through. Yeah, this to me is a year where there really is no clear-cut favorite. You mentioned the Dodgers having to play the wild card game, also without Clayton Kershaw and Max Muncy, at least for the early part of the postseason. That's a big blow. Both of them are huge blows. So I look at this and I see, yeah, I could absolutely see the Astros winning it. I could absolutely see the White Sox winning it. I could absolutely see the Dodgers winning it. You look at Milwaukee's rotation. That is very, very scary. Oh, by the way, the Giants and Rays, as we mentioned, are the teams with the best records in their respective leagues. And I think you'd be foolish at this point to discount them. And the Cardinals have been playing their best baseball of the season at the right time of year. So I really don't feel like there is a clear-cut favorite heading into this postseason. Whereas last year, even with the shortened season, even with the extra playoff rounds, I was like, yeah, this is the Dodgers. This is the clear-cut best team. No one's on the same level as them. You know, I, I said it on the podcast last year. I thought they were the only team that could beat themselves, and they almost did with some poor pitching decisions. But it ended up working out just fine. This year, I don't feel that way at all. I legitimately feel like I can craft a plausible scenario for at least six of these teams to win the World Series without any of them really qualifying as an upset. And then the other four teams, I mean – do I think the Red Sox, Yankees, and Braves are a tier below some of these other teams? I do, but they've got plenty of horses that a couple guys get hot. You never know. So I, I do feel like this is almost kind of the parody postseason where I don't see a distinct team or even a distinct two teams that really stand head and shoulders above the rest. Uh, and I don't think that there's any team this year. There is no pretender that snuck in that you say, okay, congratulations, shake your hand. The Cardinals are, are the team that look like that if we were talking two months ago. I don't know how you can say that about the Cardinals now after the, the stretch they just had. There's no one in this postseason who you say the accomplishment was simply, if Seattle had made it, for instance, if Seattle had pulled it out on that last day and then come through the tiebreakers and all, I would say that Seattle's accomplishment would be making the playoffs and then taking a one-game exit in the wild card and saying, man, great season, just check out what we're going to do in the future. I would see them as a team that's like, no, they have no logical path to a World Series title this year. I'm not going to say that about the Cardinals. Worse Cardinals teams have won the World Series than this one. 2016 that won 83 games comes to mind but yeah no this is this is going to be I think a fun postseason because there's so much parity and realistically I can see a lot of different teams coming out of it I do want to bring up the fact that the Dodgers with a 106 and 56 record are a wild card team a lot of people have very strong opinions about this what's yours I have no problem at all that they have to play to win one game. Yes, they're really good. Yes, it doesn't happen like this very often. They didn't win their division. That's a reason that we have a 162-game season. No one can call it fluky if you fail to win your division over 162. The Giants were the better team by the smallest of margins, but they were the better team. If I'm the Giants, I'd sit here and wave my hand. Again, I'm old. 1993, the, la the last of the old format, if you win 103 games and you sit home for the playoffs, now that's a team who can say, wait a second, 
we got utterly hosed because under the old format, you could say that the regular season almost didn't count enough because you could win 103 games and not go. That's not what's happening to the Dodgers here. I think that this is something that likely will be a blip because what is most likely to happen is the Dodgers are going to win their wild card game and then they'll move on and we'll all forget the fact that the Dodgers had this great team that had to win one extra game. Now, if they lose it, we'll never hear the end of it. But I, that's my view. But again, I don't mind. I, I think we both agree that we want the regular season to mean something. This means something. And I don't mind it being a one-game winner-take-all because it makes for dramatic TV. Yes, that is part of what the playoffs are about. But on top of that, it gives every incentive. If, if you had a system where there wasn't as much of a difference the Dodgers and Giants would have both could have put their foot off the gas in the last week of the season saying, ah, who cares if we get, you know, the division or for the wild card. No, neither of them could do that because of this. What about you? Honestly, this is just not something I can get that worked up over. Of all the things that cause a lot of angst in the world or even just in the context of baseball, I'm just like, yeah, it's fine. I, I, I just can't find myself getting that worked up about it. Like you said, winning your division is important. The Dodgers are a great team. They played the Giants 19 times. It's not like they never faced each other and never got a shot at them. They played the Giants 19 times. The Giants beat them. They went 10-9 and nine against the Dodgers. That one-game difference is the one-game difference there. Dodgers had their shot. The Giants just beat them, and it is what it is. I, I really don't have a problem with it. You mentioned teams kind of coasting into the playoffs if there's no advantage for winning your division. Uh, Bill Shaken at the LA Times actually had a good article about this. The 1996 NL West, when the Dodgers and Padres went into the final series of the season facing each other for the division title, and the Dodgers, especially, just their quotes were like, eh, we don't care. There, there's no advantage. Honestly, we're probably better off resting our guys to be fresh for the first round of the playoffs. It just, and I don't think that's great for the game either. Again, I'm fine with it. I don't think it's that big of a deal. Part of me thinks it's just people looking to be mad about something on Twitter. I'm good with it. With that, I do want to jump over to the AL right now. Those listeners who have been listening to our playoff podcast for many years now, have kind of gathered a pattern that, generally speaking, J.J. tends to be a Rays believer, and I tend to be a Rays skeptic. Now, I respect the heck out of what they've done, but I generally take a skeptical view of their postseason chances, and even sometimes their regular season chances. Before this year, I said I did not consider them a World Series contender and doubted they would make the playoffs. I was wrong. I'm owning it right here, right now. I was wrong. Given that J.J. tends to be the Rays believer and I tend to be the Rays skeptic, we're going to do a little role reversal here. JJ, tell me why the Rays won't win the World Series. And I'm going to come back at you and tell you why this year is different and why they can. But tell me why the Rays won't or can't win the World Series this year. If I'm going to try to do that, I, I am going to channel. Um, I, I, I think that we're going to make each other's arguments here, which is <laughs> fun. Because if I'm going to say that they're not, it's that their starting pitching is simply not going to be enough. And what I mean by that is not, they have players who have talent, but they're not expecting a whole lot of innings out of those guys. And so if in a postseason, which yes, does have off days, but in a postseason where you are going to rely on your bullpen very heavily, if they have long series, 
they easily could run out of gas with this bullpen. We saw it to some extent in the World Series last year where you had relievers who were absolutely the guys that the Rays had counted on, but they were, they were gasping and wheezing a little bit as we got to the end of that World Series. And so what happened? They just, if they'd have won one or two more games earlier, maybe in the, you know, in the series, they would have had a chance to win it. I think the lineup's very deep. I don't have worries about that, but I do think that maybe when you say, how are they going to get to all the innings they need to get to, that could be a problem, especially they're also going to be relying on some really young guys. Like this is not a team that when, when, when the Braves send out Charlie Morton, Charlie Morton probably will have, I haven't looked it up, but I'm guessing he has more postseason innings than or starts. He definitely has more postseason starts, I would say, than probably the entirety of what the Rays will start in games in the postseason. Depends on if Yarborough, I guess, starts. But if the Rays go with a rotation, Waka, if Waka starts, that would help him because he also had some early in his career. But if it's Rasmussen and if it's Boz and guys like that, okay, well, clearly these are guys, these are guys who don't didn't have any MLB starts coming into the year. So I think that those things could come back to hurt the race. Now, Kyle, how could the Rays win it all? I'm going to tell you why the Rays can win the World Series and are a legitimate World Series contender. And I actually do believe this. This is an entirely different level of offense. The Rays finished second in the majors in scoring this year. I don't think a lot of people realize how good this offense was because we're so used to this race formula of great pitching, great defense, and they scored just enough runs. This is actually a very, very, very different raised team than the ones we've seen in this most recent iteration of a contender. 2018, they were 16th in the majors in runs scoring. 2019, they were 15th in the majors in runs. 2020, even last year, they were 12th. This was a team that pretty consistently put together a middle-tier, mediocre-ish offense. And they relied on winning games 3-2, to 2-1. Two, two to one. You know, occasionally they'd have an outburst here and there. But more often than not, this offense just was not good enough against the best pitchers in baseball. And we even saw last year during the World Series run, outside of Randy Rosarena, they did not have enough guys who could do offensive damage. And it really, really came back to hurt them. That's a big reason why they ended up going seven games against the Astros when they were up 3-0, and that ultimately hurt their bullpen fatigue moving into the World Series. They really just have not had an offense capable of competing against the type of pitching they're going to be seeing in the postseason, top to bottom at least. They have that now. This is the first time the Rays have had a top-tier offense and can score with anyone. They don't have to win games 2-1, to 3-2, to 4-2. They can go toe-to-toe with teams. They can make up, you know, hey, if their starting pitcher has a bad day or one of the relievers has a bad day, they can put up six or seven. Getting a full season from Randy Rosarena, bringing Wander Franco up, acquiring Nelson Cruz at the deadline. Francisco Mejia has been a nice little addition off the bench. And then some of the guys they've had have really stepped it up. Mike Zanino's had a great year. Brandon Lau hit almost 40 bombs this year. Even Kevin Kiermeyer had one of his better offensive seasons in recent memory. I mean, this is a different offense. And because of that, they can beat you in different ways now. And I think that makes them a much, much, much more dangerous team than they've been really 
since this most recent run, this is their third straight postseason appearance, their fourth straight season of at least 90 wins or being on pace for that winning percentage-wise. This is the best offense they've had far and away. Team ERA-wise, they've consistently been top five or six. They're fourth again this year. I just think that this offense, being as good as it is, has actually made the Rays a legitimate World Series contender. In my mind, for the first time during this most recent run, I did not consider them one in 2019. And even last year, I just didn't see a scenario where they had any chance against the Dodgers. And ultimately, the Dodgers beat them in six games. I was actually impressed the Rays got them to six games. But yeah, they can bang. They can bang with the Astros. They can bang with the White Sox. They can bang with the Yankees or Red Sox, who they will see one of in the ALDS. And if it comes down to it, and they have to go toe-to-toe with an offense like the Dodgers in the World Series. They actually can do it this year, which they've never been able to before. It's going to be fun to watch on that. And uh, I, I, I agree with a lot of your points. I, I do think that their lineup is much better. <laughs> so with that, who you got? Who is your World Series pick? I'm going to pick the race. I'm going to say Rays over Brewers. I do think the Brewers pitching is going to be maddeningly diabolical. Obviously, the losing Williams for the, for the postseason is, is not helpful on that. But that said, I do think that the Brewers pitching staff is exceptional. Uh, credit to them. Obviously, you, I, it's easy to go Giants or Dodgers, and I think either of those is an excellent pick as well. But I'm going to say Rays over Brewers. What about you? Those screams you hear are from MLB offices in New York. A Rays Brewers World Series <laughs> would be the worst case scenario from a TV ratings perspective. And I say that with the utmost respect for what the Brewers and Rays have accomplished. They're absolutely World Series contenders, but the TV networks faced with the possibility of LA and San Francisco versus potentially if everything goes the way they'd want it to Houston, Chicago, Boston, New York, these major media markets. That's certainly what a lot of people are hoping for. Rays Brewers would make for a lot of disappointment among network TV executives. Before the year, I picked Dodgers over the White Sox. I feel like I got to stick with it. I do think the Dodgers, this starting rotation. Now, again, losing Clayton Kershaw is big because going from having four guys you really trust to three makes a big difference when you start talking about the NLCS and the World Series and seven-game series. But I do think that the midseason acquisitions they made, uh, their offense really, really, really kicked into gear here at the end of the year, coming back again and again and again from deficits. Losing Max Muncy hurts a lot, but I feel like they're too good to jump ship now. And the White Sox, I don't know if they get enough credit for the season they had. And some of this is they played in a terrible division, so you do have to take that into account. But losing Luis Robert for as long as they did, losing Aloy Jimenez for as long as they did, losing who they thought would be their starting second baseman, Nick Madrigal, and then trading him and having to go get Cesar Hernandez midseason. They suffered some pretty big injuries throughout the year to stars who they were relying on to lead their team. Tim Anderson missed some time as well. And they still won 93 games. And they scuffled a little bit there toward the end. There's no question about it. But I just think this team deserves a lot of credit for their resilience they showed this year. And you mentioned it, you look at the way this starting rotation lines up, it's pretty scary. You have a really good offense that's, for the most part, fully healthy now. Everyone's good to go. You've got a really good rotation. You've got a really good bullpen with a lot of guys who can bring it. I think that this is a really good team. That was my preseason pick, and I see no reason to jump off of them. So I'll stick with it, Dodgers and White Sox. Dodgers, White Sox for me, Rays, Brewers for you. All right, so JJ and I, now that we've made uh, our final predictions, 
we're gonna have a little bit of fun here. And this was inspired by John Manuel, our former editor in chief. We're gonna have a dispersal draft. And what we do with this is if each team in the postseason could add a player from a team that is not in the postseason, who would they take? And we're gonna do this. So a couple of ground rules, we're doing this in draft order. So not reverse order of wild cards versus division champions, but draft order. So worst record to best in the postseason. And it's one player as they currently are. So for example, Mike Trout, obviously an incredible player, but he missed most of the season with a calf injury, probably wouldn't be the guy you add right now. Jacob deGrom, same thing. Obviously an amazing player, been hurt, not probably the guy you add right now. We're talking about who are players as they are right now, health-wise, their performance during the season that each of these teams would take. JJ and I are going to alternate picks. JJ, we'll start with you. You are on the clock with the Atlanta Braves. Who are you taking for the Braves in the dispersal draft? Well, this is, this is again, this is fascinating. We, this idea actually does exist. If you look at winter ball, this does happen in winter ball. Probably most famously to me, Siri Nacional in Cuba. They play like a half season, and then they take the players from all those teams, and they put them on the teams that are playing the second half season. And that way they ensure that the best players, none of them are not playing in the second half of the season. Makes the town a little better in the second half. The fascinating part about this is, the logical thing is you just say, just take the best player, right? But then you've got to look at it. Like you have to look at the best player who fits a need. So I'm going to start by going a little crazy here because if I look at what, I think that there are two things that could best help the Braves. One would be relief help. I'm not wasting my one pick on a reliever, especially in a year there's no shutdown, okay, guaranteed you're getting out of that inning closer on a non-playoff team. The best relievers are almost all on playoff teams. So if that being the case, I'm not going that route. I think an outfielder is the second thing that you say. You don't want to really mess with that infield. You're not replacing anyone in the infield for the Braves. I think the rotation is quite good, although adding another ace to the front of that is always valuable. But I'm going to go with a guy who's not one of the five best players in baseball sitting out, but had a great half season, is healthy now. And I do think that Byron Buxton, bringing the Georgia, the Georgia native back to Atlanta, had, the, had one of the best slugging percentages, shortened season, that we've ever seen for a center fielder this year. Basically had a year that if he'd had it for the course of a full season, it would have been an MVP-type season. He's healthy right now. And so and that's and the defense you also get in center field fills a need for what the Braves need. I could also go Juan Soto, but I'm kind of playing it also a little strategically. I think I might want Soto on a team coming a little later if he's not off the board. So that's my crazy pick, admittedly, Kyle, to start this off. Your love for Byron Buxton knows no bounds to me. It is. I love Byron Buxton. For me, moving into the Cardinals, the biggest thing for the Cardinals this year is they just did not get the production they needed out of the shortstop position. Paul DeYoung really, really struggled. There have certainly been a lot of times this rotation has been in dire straits. You can absolutely go for a starting pitcher here. I think Zach Wheeler would be great. But you look at it and you say, you know what? There's good arms here, especially with some of the acquisitions they made at the end of the season. What they need the most, where the biggest upgrade would come, 
I do think would be at shortstop. Paul DeYoung hit a buck 97 this year. His on-base percentage was 284. He slugged 390. It was an awful, awful year. And because of that, I'm taking the best shortstop available, and that is Fernando Tatis Jr. I am placing Fernando Tatis Jr. on the St. Louis Cardinals for the postseason. That makes a whole lot of sense there. That makes a ton of sense. So that gets me to the I get to pick for the Red Sox. The Red Sox, I feel like, could use a multitude of things. Um, but I think that starting pitching is one of the things that the Red Sox could most use. And so I also, I'll just look at it and say, you know what, I'm going to go with the, uh, what I, the guy I expect to win the AL Cy Young Award. So let's pop Robbie Ray into the Red Sox uh, rotation. And I think that the Red Sox are in much better shape for the postseason if they had Robbie Ray, who really would be fronting that rotation. Yeah, I mean, he's certainly had a heck of a year. And uh, given the fact that they're playing the Yankees in the wild card game, and then if they win that, they play the Rays, the fact that Robbie Ray has had his success in the AL mm-hmm. East, that's something that would certainly be a boon as well. For the Yankees, I'm going to go ahead and get him some starting pitching help, bring in Zach Wheeler, one of the best pitchers in baseball all year, pair him with Garrett Cole, one, two, top of the rotation. They have a couple places they could upgrade, but I think that's the one that would make the biggest difference. Zach Wheeler to the Yankees is my pick. I thought about taking him for the Braves at 1-1, so uh, another Georgia native. But that leaves the White Sox, and this is the probably the best fit I can think of here of any of these teams, which is Marcus Semien becoming the second baseman for the White Sox. Hey, let's take their big weakness in their lineup, and let's fill it with a guy who's, one of, who's had one of the best years in baseball this year. So Marcus Semien, welcome to the White Sox. Moving ahead to the Milwaukee Brewers, someone who can really, really help that offense. I like the idea of bringing in a first baseman there, and as such, I'm going to go ahead and take Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Just a big, big bat in that lineup. They really, really could use that. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. to the Brewers, that's my next pick. That one is, again, if you're the Brewers, you have to be outside of thrilled of that you get that uh, at that spot. So this one gets a little tricky. I'm going to force it a little bit here. Juan Soto should not be on this board. So if I'm the Houston Astros, I'm not saying that Juan Soto is the best position fit, but I do remember that I would be willing to live with some subpar defense to add Juan Soto to my lineup, even if it means because of the rules that we're saying that Soto has to go to a corner, that you bench the Chaz McCormick-Jake Myers combo, and you slide Kyle Tucker over if you have to. I'm doing that to get Juan Soto in the lineup. For the Rays, you kind of hit on this earlier. The biggest thing they're going to need to get through this postseason is a starting pitcher who can give them innings. This is where I'm going to go a little bit off the board, give them Sandy Alcantara. This is someone that I think people really underestimate just how good he is. Consistently gives you seven, eight, sometimes nine. Gets no run support from the Marlins, but I think his ability to eat innings, work quickly, and all of a sudden if the Rays have a guy that's giving them consistently seven, eight, Alcantara does a lot. I think that significantly enhances their chances of winning a World Series. Sandy Alcantara to the Rays is my next pick. So this gets tricky with the, uh, with the Dodgers. I'm going to get a little creative here too. And the way I'm going to get creative is, is I'm going to draft Jose Ramirez. They need a first baseman, I feel like, because we just saw, unfortunately, Max Muncy, Max Muncy got hurt. I'm going to count on their positional versatility. That I'm going to plug Jose Ramirez in at third. I'm going to move Justin Turner over to first because I can't move Jose Ramirez. But the position versatility 
that this Dodgers team has, that's the way that I'm going to get Jose Ramirez to get one of the better available players on the board onto one of the best teams in baseball. And with the last pick, this is an interesting case with the Giants. Talk about positional versatility. Losing Brandon Belt to an injury really, really hurts. You want them to go get a first baseman. Matt Olson looks very attractive there. However, I'm going to go somewhere a little different, and I'm going to give them Bryce Harper. Again, a player who's way too good to be on this board. Big, big bat you can add into this lineup, which is really, really good already. I, how awesome would this be? I mean, this is my – if I had one regret about the postseason is – that we're not going to see a Juan Soto or a Shoyotani or a Vlad Guerrero Jr. or a Bryce Harper or a Zach Wheeler or a Robbie Ray. Like, again, we're not going to ever see this, but man, wouldn't it be fun? Otani went unpicked in this, which I feel like is just wrong. I think the best fit would be the Yankees, but that messes with their outfield defense and Wheeler probably is a better fit and they also need some infield help. But that feels wrong that Shohei Otani didn't get picked in this, but just looking at teams and what their needs are, I I don't know where he goes. thought about it all the way up to the first pick you know he fits somewhere here but at the same time yeah there's a lot of positional fits I thought about him with the Astros like but he's a DH really and the Astros already have Jordan Alvarez who's a DH and really nothing but a DH the Red Sox you talk about the Red Sox the Red Sox have JD Martinez who can injure himself simply jogging out onto the field so you can't really DH Shohei Otani there it it's tough and again, nationally, teams don't fit as well unless you're saying he's a pitcher slash pinch hitter. So this is very difficult. It's a fun exercise and fun to play around with. And uh, that'll wrap up our final 2021 regular season podcast. And as we move into the postseason here, we'll have podcasts continuing to come at you every day as usual. JJ, any final thoughts? It's just going to be buckle up. Um, I, I will start by saying I'm getting sleep now because the sleep deprivation is coming. And I know it and I accept it. And I'll happily endure it. But we're both going to have on other ends of the spectrum. You'll have the sleep deprivation getting up to do these podcasts sometimes. I'll have the sleep deprivation trying to stay up through the end of these games. It's all good. We're looking forward to it. JJ, thank you so much for joining me. This has been another edition of the Baseball America podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For JJ Cooper, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, everybody. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly, beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.